NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moon, stars, clouds, dragonflies, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the National Writing Project, The Right Time. For me, April means crocuses, seedlings, longer walks, and the absolute joy of living each and every day as if it's a poem. April is National Poetry Month, and I hope that every teacher in every school brings the power of poetry and language into their classrooms. And I'm also incredibly proud to have incredible guests on the show today. In fact, I'm actually honored, awestruck, and a wee bit fanatical about it all. I can't wait for this month's conversation between a stellar educator and the writer she loves to read and teach to be on this episode. Tanya, how are you doing? Brian, I'm as excited as you are. And interestingly, I can tell how excited you are because you're pretty calm today. I'm nervous. <laughs> I can see that. I share your excitement and joy from California. I know both of us have spent much of our career teaching, writing, and admiring poetry with fellow educators and students. And this is why we are thrilled to welcome today's guest. Uh, <clears throat> uh, today we have not only uh, the amazing Nikki Grimes, as well as a, the, an amazing teacher poet from Philadelphia, Barrett Rosser. Welcome to the show, both of you. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't even give you a chance to say hello. Welcome, everyone. Hey. hey. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Brian, so, yeah, I'm ex- to keep getting the most amazing guests and teachers. Yeah, it's amazing. And, I, you know, in the last few weeks, as I have just been paying attention to the date that this was coming, I witnessed that a walk in the woods received a junior library guild gold standard certificate. <laughs> And Garvey in the Dark um, received the 2023 Lee Bennett Hopkins Poetry Award. I think that is out of Pennsylvania. One of my greatest inspirations since teaching in Kentucky and through my doctoral days at Syracuse University, where I first got to hear Nikki Grimes speak, um, has been the writing, the brilliance, and the poetics of no other than Nikki Grimes. Um, I've been hopping along my lily pads and singing in the cattails all week, telling everybody, you're not going to believe who I'm interviewing on Thursday, but I'm not. It's actually my buddy Barrett, who's the National Writing Project person in Philly. I taught Bronx Masquerade so many times that the pages are falling out. You know, I, I think many of us are like that. She's a gift to so many of us. And I mean, right now, ordinary lives and one last word is has been the heartbeat of the teachers in Connecticut I work with. They love it. It's in every classroom. But here's the official biography. New York Times bestselling author Nikki Grimes is the recipient of the 2022 CSK Virginia Hamilton Lifetime Achievement Award, the Allen Award. We love her at Allen for significant contributions to young adult literature, the Children's Literature Legacy Model and the NCT Award for Excellence in Poetry for Children the author of the Coretta Scott King Award winner, Bronx Masquerade, and five Coretta Scott King author honors. Her most recent titles include the YALSA Best Fiction for Young Adults title, Between the Lines, Companion to Bronx Masquerade. NCTE notable Words with Wings, the most, the much acclaimed Garvey's Choice, even more so in this last couple of weeks. One Last Word, Prince Honor and Sibert Honor Ordinary, Hazards, ALA Notables, Legacy Women, Poets of Harlem Renaissance, and Southwest Sunrise, Kirkus Best Books, Bedtime for Sweet Creatures, and Playtime for Restless Rascals. The cool thing about this writer is she wins awards for everything she puts out there. And Kamala Harris, Rooted in Justice, which I have right behind me. And of course, Garvey in the Dark again, a companion to Garvey's Choice, which Miss Grime loves. 
She lives in Corona, California, and we are honored. I'm out in Connecticut to have California meet Connecticut and now meet Philly. Handing it over to you, Tanya. Woof. Uh, Nikki, if we ever get the chance to interview you again, we're going to need bigger slides. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a joy for me to um, have been able to get Barrett Rosser to do this interview today. She feels like the perfect uh, person for this job. After over a decade of facilitating student, teacher, and adult learning as a literacy teacher, adjunct professor, teacher coach, and diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, Barrett Rosser is currently a full-time doctoral candidate in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania. She is in the Reading, Writing, and Literacy program and has been the Philadelphia Writing Project Scholar for the last three years. Barrett leads communities of teachers, principals, parents, and out-of-school time leaders to explore literacy, writing, teaching, and learning across grade levels and disciplines. Further, Barrett is the founder of the Black Girls Literacy Project, an out-of-school inquiry group for high school-age Black girls to use their literacies to build knowledge about and practice self-love. Barrett is also a dreamer, lover, and poet. She loves reading and giving back to the Philadelphia community, and I would say the writing project community. Your leadership there is amazing as well. Barrett, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. That's excellent. Uh, Barrett, I'm, we're going to start as we always do on the right time. You're going to introduce a writing prompt. We tell listeners that we won't stop to write, but if you, that's something you'd like to do by yourself or with your class, so that you can just hear the writing prompt and then pause and then go on with the show. And then Barrett, after you give the writing prompt, I'll pull the slides down and Brian and I will disappear and you and Nikki Grimes will have a conversation. Okay. Okay. Hello, everybody. It is my pleasure to be here with you tonight and to voice over a choice of a writing prompt. Um, so if you choose to open up your notebooks and start to write and think along with us, that would be great. And today's first prompt is to write a six-word love poem. And I did this last night with some girls in the Black Girls Literacies Project, and they came up with some wonderful, very, very tiny poems. So I'm excited to hear what people come up with. And then for others, like, I'm thinking perhaps, write about a time when you use literacy to love yourself. Hmm. And I was thinking about using literacy in a way to read my body, especially to think about what I'm feeling in certain places. And so literacy in this case can be very expansive notions of literacy, like maybe playing a musical instrument or a sports in some way, however we make meaning. So you can write about a time you use literacy to love yourself. And then the third prompt that folks can, teachers and educators can think about, who or what do your students love learning about? Hmm. So you'll notice there's a theme of love in these poems. And I love being here tonight with Nikki Grimes. And we love the conversation that's about to happen. So we'll Perfect see you in a little time while. Perfect time for us to exit. <laughs> Hi, Nikki. How are you? Good. I'm fine. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you tonight. I've been tweeting you all week, and I'm excited that others will get to join in in our conversation. And I want to jump right in. Okay. I spent over a decade 
as a middle school and second secondary grades literacy teacher. And unfortunately, much of the reading and writing that we did, um, including how we read and write, was dictated by the powers that be in the school district that we were in. There was a heavy, heavy emphasis on reading and writing skills or the process of reading and writing, like over often over understanding the meaning of the story. At times, some of my students would know the strategies and still struggle to use them sometimes in the text because it was privileged over what the story actually meant or the beauty or the feelings or the action that it evoked. So the emphasis, the emphasis on skills for me uh, was challenging as a teacher. Um, I almost didn't know how to do it. There was so much more that the literature had to offer. Offer. So I'm wondering as an author, what do you think is the relationship between skills or the processes of reading and writing with the, the meanings or the feelings and the beauty that that work may provoke? Well, skills are important in that they ultimately free us to express ourselves well. And expressing yourself should be the point of it all. Uh, no one needs skills for skills sake. I mean, that has absolutely no meaning. Um, teach writing skills and then turn your students loose to use them um, to express what's on their hearts. That's really what it's all about. And when they've been able to do that successfully, they'll thank you for it. I mean, mm -hmm. that is what saved me. Reading and writing were my survival tools. And writing was how I made sense of the world. It still is. Um, and so the marriage, that marriage is really important. The, the skill, but also what it is you have to say. I love mm -hmm. playing around with different forms and exploring them and challenging myself to, uh, to express myself through these different forms. But I don't study the forms just for their own sake. The whole point is to say something using that form, whatever it is. And so you need to have that mar marriage or there's just no meaning. Mm. I also use poetry for survival. Um, my earliest poems was when I was 13 years old. Um, I, I have it like plastered in my room at home still. And that resonates because I would just write whatever I was gushing out. And I, I used it to really help me cope with my surroundings and what was going on around me. I had no one to talk to often but my paper. I was the only child. In a very tumultuous situation, I grew up with an alcoholic father. Um, and so often the pages was my refuge. And, and honestly, when I got to school and I learned some strategies, I was like, oh, I'm going to take this one over here, mix this up in that, and take this to make this more beautiful. And I really, really want them to know how it felt or me to know. So I'm going to throw a little alliteration over here and that. But it really was for the sake of my writing. And I'm wondering how you think, I don't know if I want to admit, teachers have time to know who their students are, <laughs> to figure out what they care about so that the skills matter. 
Um, I think teachers wrestle with that tension, especially when teaching over 100 kids. I taught high school every day. So um, do you have any suggestions or advice for how maybe students might show up? I'm here or advocate for themselves or teachers might leave space open to figure out who students are. Well, I mean, the invitation for them to write in class, no matter how short the time may be, but, and and to do free write, you know, not anything um, formulaic, but free write about something that's just on their heart or on their mind. Uh, give them opportunities to share those pieces with each other as well as with you, which is why open mic in the classroom is such a great tool to use um, because students learn, they learn to respect language in a different kind of way when they're writing, when they're going to, they're going to read in front of other people. Um, that's going to make them a little more likely to do things like revision. You know, they're going to work on that piece because they're presenting it and other people are going to hear it. Uh, it also teaches them to respect uh, language as they're listening to their classmates read their work. Besides just learning details about one another in the process of uh, of that kind of engagement, it's something truly powerful and unifying. And, uh, and it kind of is a motivation for them to take whatever next steps they need to, also to work harder when they're they have an assigned composition or whatever to put more energy into that work because they've had that experience of writing um, about things that interest them and, and, you know, connect with who they are, what's going on uh, in their lives, giving them a notebook to take home to, you know, maybe give a, a subject sort of a, a general prompt and let each of them write about it in their own way. Uh, whatever, you know, that, that subject area is, if it's something about the family or, you know, picking out a hero in the family or writing something about their neighborhood, whatever, you know, the, the prompt is, and then just see how many different ways, you know, various students come at that same subject, but give that, give them that freedom. It's not just giving them freedom, it's also respecting, giving them a certain level of respect and dignity by saying here, Write what's important to you, what matters to you, and you know, turn this into a poem or give me a poem. Um, you can do that by giving them so something to start with. Um, I do prompts for Tonka, for Golden Shovel Poetry, um, as well as free verse, where I'm giving them enough of a form or enough place to start, some lines to to just play with, and and they just go to town. I know I know adult poets who run to the hills when I start talking about golden shovel poetry. Oh, I can't do that, but uh, but students, they're like, yeah, you know. I give them a few lines and I say, here's here's part of a poem, and I'll pick out some ex excerpts that have some really. Um, Provocative language, not provocative, but things that will motivate them or or spark them in some way. And I say, choose whatever line you want from this poem and use that as the basis for your golden shovel and write whatever story you want, you know, using that. They are often running so fast. 
you know, and I see some of these poems in, in response uh, because I've had people will post them uh, online and say, hey, you know, we did some golden shovel today. Here's a few of the poems, whatever. They are waiting to be asked, to be challenged, to be invited. You know, we're busy thinking because they're not saying anything that they're they're going to be resistant. And just the opposite is true. They are just waiting to be challenged. They're ready to jump into it if you give them a shot, you know. Um, so, yeah. I think that's so important because in my years teaching, I've come across students when it's time for the assignment. They're like, I don't know. I don't know what's right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then sometimes the I don't knows turn into, is this right? 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 And I'm like, yes, right? But I think as a teacher, I really had to change my lens on their writing. Like what ideas here are really awesome. I know I've been in spaces where teachers have just sorted students writing out high, medium, low, and different looking at grammar and mechanics and not really kind of valuing the ideas and and the content that's actually there and what's exciting to build upon. So the point of write what's important to you for a free time, it's like, you can't get this wrong. That's so why I tell them now, you can't get this wrong. Like, <laughs> this is all your voice. I think that's really important. Yeah. And sometimes you can, um, you know, give them a, a poem as a jumping off place and say, okay, you know, use this poem, only the format of it or whatever, but write your own version of this poem, write your story. I know some classes um, who did, uh, you know, class studies of Bronx Masquerade. Uh, the classes ended up creating a book of their own, calling it whatever that school is, Masquerade, where each student took on their own character and wrote a poem in their own voice, you know, as part of that collection that they created. So sometimes just just that, giving them something and say, okay, here's an idea, here's a poem, and just kind of play with this, this form, you know, um, but write your own story. And that can be a great invitation and make them feel a little less stressed about what to write or the form. You know, here, use this as a template. That's all this is. It's just a template, you know, to write your own story. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that can free them as well. I love the words free. I love the words play. I know maybe in some spaces that might not be a thing in classrooms, but it would definitely help our students grow as writers and maybe start to love it and own it a little more in spaces where they may not be. Um, on this same topic, kind of, I saw on your blog post that so many authors ask you, or authors in your interviews, they ask you where your inspiration comes from. How do you get poem ideas? Nikki, how do you get story ideas? There are so many books. And I saw that you said, or you wrote, the answer to the question of where stories come from is rather random, isn't it? It's mysterious. It's magical. It's simple. A story and the idea that gives birth to it is a gift. So I'm wondering, why do you think of story ideas or poem ideas as gifts? And what might what advice might you have for other authors, writers who would like to tap into their own magic? Well, 
gifts become are, are gifts because they come unbidden. Um, and we all have them. Um, I, I've never met anyone who didn't have an idea, whether they picked it up, something somebody said that they heard or something they heard, you know, overheard over lunch or, you know, on the train, whatever. Um, the difference between everybody else and a writer is that when we hear it, we write it down. So we have it to reference later when we want to, you know, play with it. Um, but when you have an idea, basic idea, the question is, what do you do with it? And one of the things that is really helpful in any kind of story making is asking questions. So of an idea, you'd ask questions about that idea, or if it's a character that just presents itself to you, ask questions about that character. Um, and with every question you ask, it takes you down some sort of rabbit hole. When I was working on um, Words with Wings about a girl named Gabriella, who is a daydreamer. And and then originally that manuscript was all just about um, the act of daydreaming and what those daydreams look like. And, and it was a picture book manuscript. And I sent it to an editor who, who frequently does this to me. I sent her a finished book, completely polished. She loves the book, but she says, I see something more here. And I thought, oh, great. Once again, I give you a finished book and you tell me it's a great <laughs> beginning, you know. But then she does what she always does. She asked a question. Mm. In Words with Wings, the question was, why did Gabby start daydreaming in the first place? Mm. And my answer, my initial answer was, as it always is, I don't know. <laughs> I like sit with it and the question starts to noodle in my brain and I come up with this whole story idea about um this you know divorce in the family and how those dynamics changed and you know and um and Gabby's father is a bit of a dreamer and so there's that's already sort of there and uh but it sort of expands you know from that whole notion of how she responds to this change in her family and deals with this emotionally and and um and how daydreaming serves her in in this instance that story never would have existed without that question in garvey's choice i had um a story about a boy who was dealing with um, weight issues, uh, body image issues. And I wanted to write a book about that because you you see books dealing with uh, girls in body image, but I wasn't seeing anything about boys in body image. And I knew plenty of boys that had that issue. And so I was like, okay, I want to write about that. So the editor says, well, you know, that's that's great, but there's more to Garvey than his weight. Mm. And um, and I was like, well, OK, fine. And then she asked, <laughs> why did and he was, you know, overeating? And she says, so why did Garvey start overeating? Mm. To which I responded, I don't know. <laughs> and I started thinking about it. 
whole story of his relationship with his father, which hadn't existed before, grew out of from that question and the rabbit hole that that question took me down. Um, and so uh, all the reasons that he overate and and the whole push back with his dad who, you know, wanted to wanted him to be an athlete and and that led me to, okay, why does he want that? Well, that was the nature of his relationship with his dad. That was how they connected. So he assumed that his he and his son were going to connect in the same way. On and on it went. But all of that came from that question. The connection of them both being interested in music. None of that existed in the first draft. All of that came from question. question asking questions of the story. Um, something a little bit similar, simpler. I was working on a, I had to write a poem for an anthology about food. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know what that was going to be. So I started making lists. This is something that I did, that anyone can do. So I'm like, okay. So I wrote about a list of foods that I liked, a list of foods that I hated, and foods connected with different holidays, just all the different things that I could think connecting, you know, that had to do with food. I kept writing these things down. And in the process of doing that, one thing really stuck out to me that I, I, I put down pineapple upside down cake because it was something my grandmother used to make for me and just for me. <laughs> and that that rung bells. And I said, there, that's something. Because that had an emotional, excuse me, that had an emotional connection to it. And the single most important thing for me in anything I write is to find and to make an emotional connection with the reader. And so those elements become really crucial. And once I, I understood that it wasn't just about that, that cake, but all of the emotions connected to it and to my grandmother and how she expressed her love for me, because she was not an affectionate person. This was one of the ways that she expressed her love for me, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, this is, a, this is a great subject for a poem. So that's where that took me. Um, and it all started with a list, a series of lists. Anybody could do that. Um, another instance of a, of a poem, uh, I was wanting to write about, I, I did a book about weaving, Paul mm -hmm. Nisali and the Weaver, Weaver's Gift. And it was about the, the whole process of weaving because I have a lot of friends who are weavers. So I'm dealing with, you know, um, gathering um, materials uh, and, and how to dye yarns and all this kind of thing. Uh, and I needed a poem about a spinning wheel or about spinning yarn. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, how I was going to go with it. So I contacted a couple of friends who are weavers who do spinning. And I went over to the home of one and I watched her. And she she did some spinning with a handheld spinner. And then she spent some time seated, seated at a spinning wheel. Okay. And I noticed when she was at the spinning wheel that she set into this kind of motion um, as she worked, which made me think of dance. 
So dance became the metaphor for this poem. And that was the idea I was able to hang this poem on. So it just came from doing a little research on the just the basic idea. I love the idea of going down rabbit holes because usually people are like, don't go down there, not safe. But sometimes the best things pop up. You don't notice little serendipitous moments. It's like, oh, I need to pick that up. That feels right. So I love that. Um, and I love the pineapple upside down cake because we eat that where I'm from too. <laughs> the love, the love literacy in there that your grandma showed for you by making that, that is so, so beautiful. And that is a perfect segue to the next question that I have. Um, I am the facilitator and founder of the Black Girls Literacies Project, and it's for high school girls to use literacies and expansive notions, however they deem, mostly reading, writing, talking about how to love ourselves. Um, we read our bodies. We write tons of poetry. I think they just coming as poets nowadays. I don't know what's in the water. We are TikToking. That's a thing. That's a literacy. They got me up there doing <laughs> we eat together every time we meet for a kitchen table situation and as a child I already told you I was a po poet and I still everything I write is some poetic element to it so I'm wondering what other modalities do you engage with literacies do you like to practice artistic expressions that may inform your writing or go hand in hand or maybe not Oh, no, they do. Um, <laughs> and I, I I do so many things. I make cards. I make uh, handmade pads, handmade books, and art journals. Um, I've worked in a variety of textile uh, forms, knitting, crocheting, jewelry making, fine bead weaving, you name it. Uh, collage. I'm a paper freak, self-confessed. I do lots of collaging. Um, I I draw, I paint, I do watercolor. I do watercolor and collage. In fact, the piece over my head is is a combination of that uh, watercolor and collage. Um, so yeah, but here's the thing. Um, I'm a maker, but we're all makers. We're all designed that way. Um, and this work, gives me a sense of balance, a sense of peace. Um, we humans were designed to be makers. And when we fail to nurture that in ourselves, we feel the lack. We might not be able to articulate it, but we know something's missing, you know. Um, and that can take all kinds of forms. For some people, it's flower arranging or something to do with gardening, or it has to do with, you know, um, cooking or bread making or baking, whatever, things of that nature. But there are all kinds of ways um, to to nurture that uh, need that that enriches all of us, no matter what we do for a living. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's important to honor the fact that we are all makers. There's a part of us that uh, really longs for that. So you can't always come up with a direct correlation between you know the art and the writing and the literacy but uh one feeds the other mm. for sure 
And there's a certain energy that you get from doing this other work that feeds into the writing that you do or the visual art that you do, whatever it is. Um, and you can, you can kind of feel that difference. Mm-hmm. When I'm making, life has taught me, sadly, in some ways that that making has to be perfect. I am a struggling perfectionist. Still, um, I need to talk to myself often to remind myself and get at my inner voice around the things that I'm telling myself about what I'm making. I think especially in the environments that I'm in as a Black woman, I was a Black girl, feeling that I got to be better than folks. I had something to prove. And I, when I'm with poetry, it doesn't feel like that. And that feels so good. Like, this is a place I can be. It's for me. And sometimes when I'm performing, I'm like, this ain't even for y'all. Sometimes somebody's like, oh, <laughs> like, this cathartic. This is for me right now. <laughs> I'm reading this poem to feel better. Um, but I'm wondering, have you ever struggled with perfectionism? I know I've taught tons of students who just, the rubric God made them feel right. It's just, you know, it means so much. And I get it. Because I've struggled with that. Um, but do you ever feel pressure around that with your books? The next one needs to be better than the last hundred. <laughs> How do you cope with that? I suffer from the twin diseases of perfectionism and impatience. Mm. And the two do not play well together. so uh yeah i'm always struggling to uh raise the bar on my own work um but i blame it on mrs wexler (laughs) my favorite high school teacher english teacher uh, because she really drove into my brain the notion that good enough isn't oh yeah so don't start it good enough. Just keep going. Uh, um, wow. So, um, so I'm always I'm always pushing, always trying to figure out how I can make you know each new piece better than the last one. Um, but I also understand that there's that there's a limit to that. I seek to make each book the best that I can at that moment, with the understanding that. Six months from now, I'll know something that I don't know today that would have made it better. But I can't constantly put work off because of that. So I make it as 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 good as I possibly can in that moment, given the skills that I have at that time. And then I let it go. And then, you know, I raise the bar on the next piece and I take that as far as I can at that time in that moment and then let it go. Um, because if you are worth your salt as an artist, you're constantly growing. You're always going to be better than you were. That's just part part of that whole process. Um, and that's fine. But if you've done your very best in the moment, then, then you can have a piece about that. Like that was that piece. I did absolutely everything that I could. And for the time I was, you know, working on it, it is the very best that I can make it. And so I can feel proud about that and and just let it go on on that basis. But yeah, I'm always, there's always for me um, that, that tension uh, and that, and that struggle. And uh, I've gotten better about it. I mean, when I was working on uh, Bronx Masquerade, I can remember my editor really, if she could physically have 
taken the book from me, she would have because <laughs> I'm going back. Um, and I'm like, wait, one more thing, one more thing. And there was a place where, you know, the book was already laid out, paged out. Mm-hmm. And I was wanting to make changes and we were on the phone and I was like rewriting, you know, out loud and she would be typing, mm-hmm. no, that won't fit. And then I'd have to compose something different until we got it to fit the space that was already allotted. It was craziness, you know. Um, that's the last time I did that, though. <laughs> like, you know, because you're really you're you're not going to have any editors left because you're going to drive them all crazy. So you got you have to stop somewhere. <laughs> so, is your editor? Are your editors the people that you thought partner with? Do you have thought partners in your writing process? Do you have a writing community that supports you? Well, I've been part of of an arts group where. Um, you know, I've I've read segments of pretty much everything I've written um, over the, the group has been together like 38 years, I think. So they've heard bits and pieces. And some if it's a picture book, they've heard the whole thing while it was in process. And um, but we're not together for critique. It's more you get critique if you ask for it. But otherwise, it's just, you know, support and people respond based on whatever sort of hit them when they hear the piece kind of thing. Um, and and when I say an arts group, I mean every medium. We've had um, filmmakers, visual artists, musicians, composers, uh, journalists. So it's kind of a whole spectrum, which is great because then you, you're getting feedback in, the, in another vocabulary, but you learn that it all kind of connects Mm-hmm. We're all able to um, uh, appreciate the different perspectives, even when it's coming from a different medium mm-hmm. altogether, which is very, it's a very unique and very special thing. So I i have uh, enjoyed it. And it's also great because we have just a, a range of ages. The two people who, or the couple who, um, who host it um, are both teachers. Mm-hmm. And so... We've had students that they've found who were particularly talented and they've invited them to group. And so we have, you know, high school and early college students up to senior citizens and everything in between. And so you're getting these great varying perspectives um, in the feedback and in the critique. And uh, so that's been really interesting. Well... There are others who are maybe not just giving feedback, but critiquing your work (laughs) right now. (laughs) I read in your blog, Sounds Off, that you wrote that schools are banning your books. Yes. Well, the school district thing. I think the first I heard was in um, Leander, Texas. Ah, Texas. (laughs) Where it all started. Um, And... You know, it's all about really a political football. Uh, the governor there realized that he could get some traction um, by, you know, calling for a ban on books and put together a list of, what was it, 845 or 800 and something books he put on this list. Mind you, people who ban books uh, in the main have never read the book that they're banning, <laughs> that they're asking to be removed. Um, they've just been given some kind of script and um, 
you know, told to hit that uh, subject. And often what happens after the fact is um, when these committees work the way they're supposed to and they actually go read the books, then they come back and they say, well, no, that book is fine. Put it back on the shelf after all of that, you know, which is what happened um, in Leander. But unfortunately, this thing has just spread. So you're fighting the battle district by district, state by state, um, which is absolutely maddening. But one of the things I love that they did in Leander is um, uh, some of, some of the, the, the students started a banned books book club. Oh, Okay. <laughs> and, of course they would. They had the support of um one of their teachers. I think they were they did it as a, a group. They did it on school property, but after school hours, so nobody could say anything about it. Um but if that's not possible, I would suggest um an independent bookstore would be a great place to have um to have a book club. Or your local library, um, sure, would be open to that possibility uh, as a way to, you know, read those books and make them available. Um, so I, yeah. Um, when I found out about this, I contacted my publisher and um, and we made books available for them to start off with, to start their book club off with. So, yeah. Well, we pop back in because we have to keep timing of this of the show. Um, but I, oh, no, I, no. Listen, oh. <laughs> I wrote a I wrote a six word love poem. You ready? Yeah. It's called Six Word Love Poem for Nikki and Barrett. Oh. Listening, such gifts, checking my pulse. <laughs> I can't that was absolutely just the most amazing 30 minutes. I was like, I could listen to this for hours. It was beautiful. But I know we have a, another writing prompt and we all have other things we have to do. What a gift to all of us. Yes. Okay. Um, do you want, I just roll with it? Roll with it. Yeah. Okay. So actually, I think it's so ironic that this prompt, the take a line for a walk, John, because we are in Philly, so everything's a John, um, is when you should read the text and pick a line or phrase that really speaks to you. Then take that line for a walk and continue to write using that line as the first one of your writing. Sometimes it could be the last line. Maybe you just throw it in the middle somewhere, but choose a line from Nikki's Grimes poem, poems that you like to take a walk with. I love it. I love it too. Oh my goodness. Brian. You get to, well, you did say your love poem. Do you have anything else for closing words? Well, I actually, I also like the prompt of how are you using literacy to love ourselves? And I was thinking we are featuring this on, on National um, Poetry Month, but it's National Women's Month. And I just want to applaud all the women in this space um, and all that they give to literacy. And I was at a school today because it's National um uh, American Day on reading. And I was invited to several fourth and fifth and sixth grade classrooms to read. And the principal in that school 
started the morning announcements from that scene from Greece where you play the little bells and she pretended to be the secretary and then she plays a little bit of musical diva she calls it musical diva name that tune who's who is it first first classroom that calls the main office and can tell me what's who's singing this song and she was featuring uh Mariah or Whitney Houston today and I'm just like looking at that spirit and that energy and I'm like she's putting musical literacy into the hearts of all those kids and when I was in the classrooms and I was talking about lists, all the kids, when I said, list, list a woman in your life that's really magical to you. And they all named this principal. Oh. And I was just thinking, I was like, oh, my God, like we need to celebrate these people who bring magic into our universe, including you two. So that's my my thought. <laughs> that is perfect. Well, my first thought is completely just personal, Nikki. I have a friend who's a history teacher who um, does fly on the wall um assignments like imagine you're a fly on the wall in some period some some scene in history and then write about that scene which i love and one thing that this interview really made me want to do is to be able to be a fly on the wall in some conversation between you and your editor (laughs) (laughs) i love that's all of those descriptions so much so she asked me this question and i said i don't know i love that so well, I just love it. I could. I have the image of her pulling it back. No, give it back to me. Give it back to me. I'm not done. I need to. I need to add a comma in Bronx Masquerade, page thirty-two. <laughs> but it's not commas. I call you copy editors the comma police. <laughs> um, I I am going to end on a just um as Brian did a a deep um sense of gratitude. I should tell you that I am at the um, California Writing Project and California Association of Teachers of English Conference this weekend. My day opened with a session by a California poet, uh, Bryn Saito, and is ending with a conversation between two beautiful poets, Barrett Rosser and Nikki Grimes. And I really couldn't be have had a more lovely beginning and ending to my day. So I want to thank you both for that. It was a really lovely conversation about teaching and writing and teachers and poems and I and stories. And I so appreciate it. Thank you. And um, as Brian knows, I always then say, I want to thank the listeners of this show and remind them that they can find out about more shows like this by signing up for our Right Now newsletter. They can do that at our website, www.nwp.org, or join a conversation. There is a Teachers as Poets group in our Right Now Teacher Studio. Uh, You can find that at studio.nwp.org, and you could go right to that group and find all kinds of teacher poets talking about the poems they're writing, the poems they're teaching, the poems they love. Um, And if you want to find more shows like this that have already been recorded, you can follow, you can um, find us at NWP Radio. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't imagine a better conversation for people to enjoy during Poetry Month. Thank you. NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.